Now for the third time on the Drew Marshall Show, one of Tim's all-time heroes, General Dallaire, joins us right now. General, you are on your way from the airport to the airport. What are you? You must be so busy today. Well, and I've been busy a few days uh, speaking at uh, uh, University of Ottawa on Wednesday uh, on PTSD with veterans. Uh, and then uh, the night before that, I was getting an award from Human Rights Watch in Toronto. And then uh, last night, I was in Bigby today doing the ceremonies with all the people there. They, they had a big crowd in the, in the rink. And then uh, before that, I was in Charlottetown uh, at a fundraiser for True Patriot Love. Wow. So it's been a bit busy. Wow. How are you feeling? Are you exhausted? Uh, fatigue is not is not too bad as much as uh, the constant repetition of the of the subject every now and again uh, gets to you uh, being a victim of it, and so that I gotta I gotta face myself better with with that because sometimes the bills just don't sustain the uh, the depressive sort of atmosphere that it does create around oneself. Oh, I can imagine. I can only imagine. Well, again, on the uh, Drew Marshall Show, retired Lieutenant General, the Honorable Romeo Dallaire. I, I, I think it's been a year, General Dallaire, since your memoir came out, uh, Waiting for First Light, My Ongoing Battle with PTSD. Is that is that about right, a year ago? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a good year, that's for sure. Yeah. Anything, is there anything that you wished you had not included in the book? Any regrets? No, it's not that not included. I think that uh, at times I wonder if I went delved deep enough really to uh, to communion with, with all those who are hurting. I hope I did. Yeah. But sometimes I'm, I'm not sure if I, if I tried to not make it uh, so difficult for people to to read that they would uh, they would shun it instead of trying to seek uh, information on uh, what is behind the facade and how do you uh, handle it and how do you communicate with people who are suffering with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think were the parts of the book that hit home the most with people? Uh, you must have heard some, some feedback. What hit home the most? The, the feedback that I've been getting has been very interesting from old colleagues, and uh, those are the ones that I, uh, I appreciate a lot, and some friends, of course, but old colleagues where uh, they just could not comprehend that there was that much hurt behind the facade, uh, and that the work ethic and the uh, attempts at committing to do so much was also part of coping with the with the injury, and so the, what I found interesting is a number of them felt uh, terrible for not having discerned that and come to my to my. When I think about you, uh, you know, look, I talk. We've actually never met. You've been on the show a couple of times, but I refer to my interview with you quite often with people because I, I I'm sure you won't remember this, but the reality is I struggle believing in a god. And I often refer to, you know, the way you shared with me about the time you shook hands with the, the rebel leader in, um, in Rwanda and uh, you felt like you were shaking hands with the devil and the evil that you saw. And the evil that you saw was something that actually helped you 
continue to believe if there's this evil, then there must be supernatural good. There must be a God. Uh, do you know what I mean? Does that still make sense to you? Yeah, it did, except that, you know, for many years, recognizing that there was a God, I still was very, very mad and very disappointed in God for having let that situation happen. And uh, I would argue that probably only over the last two years have I actually been thinking more and, and practicing more my my beliefs because I've come to accept that good and evil are in constant battle and that on occasion evil does take an upper hand and God is simply attempting to, to attenuate it and to be there for us to call upon to go and seek his uh, his support and uh, instead of looking at that way for many years I just thought that he had, he had just failed me and and uh, disappeared and that evil was in fact the, the essence of what the scenario was because God was inept at doing it yeah so it's been, it's been a quite an exercise uh, in uh, of soul searching and speaking with uh, one priest in particular who I'm trying to build a sort of confessional relationship with. I, I, I don't want to sound too creepy, but those conversations would be fascinating to sit in on. You and this priest battling through the, the darkness and light of the soul-searching that you have done, General Dallaire, that would be just incredible. I mean, I think that should be your next book, the conversations between you and this priest. <laughs> now, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I might get excommunicated by doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Well, let, let me ask, you know, uh, I, I, look, I think one of the reasons that people are so appreciative of you is the way you communicate what you communicate. It's not necessarily what you communicate, but it's the way you do it. And the way you do it, General Dallaire, is you do it with vulnerability and you do it with straight shooting. You do it with sort of this authentic say it like it is kind of thing. And I think that's really why people appreciate. So I want to ask you, speaking of vulnerability, I know, you know, it, it was a number of years ago and you've written about this and I know you will struggle with PTSD probably till the day you die. You're now in your 70s. How are you? I'm, I think that I'm, I'm buoyed by the enormous success of the work of uh, the team that has come together with my colleague, Dr. Whitman, and Child Soldiers, and how people are recognizing that there is a better way to stopping the recruitment and use of children as weapons of war, and that we're, we're providing it, and, they're, and it's gaining momentum, recognition, and armies are retraining, and police forces, and NATO, and the African Union, and UN, and all that. So there's an extraordinary positivism to to all uh, that effort and all that, uh, but that comes also from the team that has committed itself so much to that. So I, I can't, you know, just say myself. On the contrary, I I hope just to be a guide for them. But I think that there is a negative that's eating away at me, and that is the fact that I'm 71. I, I I'm really not a happy man. Being at the age I am, I feel there's so much that can be still be written, talked about, done, uh, engaged in, 
my grandchildren are very, very young. And so I have this horrible feeling of running out of time. Wow. And that, that sneaks up on me every now and again. And that, that I really, really makes me mad. Well, let me just lighten the mood a little bit here. A couple of things. First of all, I wish I had your hair. You have amazing yes. hair. <laughs> uh, and, and to be, tr- there too, yeah. Truth be told, I wish I had any hair, uh, let alone oh. hair that looked like yours. Um, what What is it that gets you through the night? What are the things that makes General Delaire laugh and smile? Because you're right. I mean, this constant message that you, you know, the drum you are beating can, can just get kind of depressing after a while, I'm sure. So what what gets you smiling and laughing and lightening up a little bit? I think the, uh, the discovery that I, in fact, can influence my own self by taking better care of myself hmm. uh, by, you know, by, in fact, sleeping. So I, I, I suffer from sleep apnea, so I finally sorted that out and, and taking a means. Uh, I keep my medication. I'm trying to eat better. I'm trying to do exercise, and those sides are not necessarily successful fully yet. But uh, there is an optimism that I'm seeking and that I'm trying to grasp that I hope will take uh, the the negative of night, which, which it is, it, it, and the horrors of night, and turn it into uh, sort of recuperating time so I can actually be more effective uh, during the day. And lack of sleep affects your, your memory, and that affects how you can perform and ultimately creates frustration and just gets worse. And so you you got to combat that, and that's what I'm I'm trying to bring myself to grips with. Um, General Delaire, do you actually? <laughs> this is this is a goofy question coming from me because I'm not good at this at all. But I I want to ask you: Do you have any spiritual practices? Do you, you know, some people do yoga, some people pray regularly, some people meditate, some people light candles, some people go to church. Do you have any spiritual practices at all? I carry in my bag um, that I have always with me where I have documents and papers and so on. Uh, It's sort of with me. I carry my passport, of course, and so on. But I also carry a number of icons that both my father and my father-in-law carried throughout World War II. And every now and again, I, I sort of look to them and I take them out. And uh, I got a rosary that's been blessed by the Pope John Paul. And some of those uh, those elements make me think. And uh, I'm I'm trying to talk to God with with an optimistic perspective that he he's there to help me and to assist me uh, instead of uh, simply being mad at him or seeking you know just uh, to to make things better, on the contrary, is more optimistically thanking him for what I got and and trying to speak to him to guide me in what I want to achieve and overcome. And uh, it, that is very much conversations. And, and it happens when I'm in the field, uh, when I'm in, in Africa. It happens uh, on occasion when I'm traveling so much and sitting in a plane uh, uh, for many hours. But I still feel that I haven't really profoundly relinked with him. Right. Yeah, and you so, sort of haven't made your peace with him in, in many ways. No, 
and and we've been. We, 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 I, I don't know if he's been challenged, but I'm certainly challenged. But <laughs> try to come come to that, and and I think decades of 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 having a real lip on against him and not understanding how evil it's a fight and it's only through belief and prayer and commitment that we can actually overcome evil uh and and return to optimism and and god can actually be of a of a of a positive influence in our life only when you start to really realize that that i think uh, he becomes uh, god becomes a, a reinforcement to what we're doing and so I've got I've got decades of of trying to get rid of that uh, negativism and trying to push the the more pers- positive perspective that God sh- has and I'm sure is available. It's just that I've not been able to to communicate properly to get it. Yeah, you know, you and I are in the in a very similar boat uh, in terms of everything you just said. Uh, you know, one thing that really helped me begin to see or allow myself to see. Uh, God in the light that that maybe is not as biased because of whatever I've processed or gone through was this book called The Shack and it was a New York Times bestseller the author is a Canadian guy and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for I don't know thousand weeks or something I have no long time they made a movie out of it recently yeah I saw the movie oh you saw the movie Wow. Yeah, well, yeah. The, sorry. They showed, uh, they showed me it, and uh, it was a very interesting, very, very interesting movie. Yes, yeah. Well, the book was the most spiritually healing thing I'd read in about twenty years. You know, the movie has its Hollywoodized aspect to it, and it was it was pretty well done. But boy, that book just anyway. I'll I'll leave that alone. Um, so, Angelina Jolie, yeah. did you happen to hang out with her at the Peacekeeping Summit in Vancouver a few days ago? No, it's that's coming up. Oh, it's coming up. It's next week. Okay, yeah. for some reason I thought it was on the eighth, so it's coming up next week, and she's going to be there, and you're going to be there. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and, that's correct. And one of the things that is going to get talked about, and I have a I have a question about this, is the is sexual violence in war. Why don't we hear more about that? Is it is it because, you know, the women aren't as important, or is it because any talk about sexual violence during war reveals? a completely darker side of human depravity? In fact, that's uh, it's one of the things that, that I find so absolutely horrific is, is that how women who give life and how significant they are to our societies are constantly the victims in uh, any breakdown of social structure in any way, shape, or form. And that, that's even here when people... Uh, go off the rails in regards to uh, respect and, and recognition of, of women as equals and treating them as such. And, and you sort of wonder, why, why did we create that sort of atmosphere? Because it's the latent, constant uh, influence of that that makes uh, that vulnerability. And so when people are in very extreme scenarios like conflict, uh, where human rights are thrown out the window, where there's mass atrocities and so on, there are two groups come to the fore, and one right off the bat is women and the abuse of women. And in fact, we have now seen in some conflicts where raping women and mutilating women are part of the weapons being used mm-hmm. to create horror, and horror instills fear 
and fear gives you control on, on the population, and, and that gives you uh, a horrific body of power. Uh, and the other one is children and how we can massively abuse children uh, and use them as weapons, use them in all kinds of ways, and, and destroy their, their, them uh, as children, and, and, and they become, uh, in fact, liabilities for society subsequently. Uh, now, I think that the voice of women are touching the right targets, uh, and there is a receptiveness uh, in structures and organizations uh, to not anymore tolerate this horrific position that I saw when I was in Sierra Leone in 2001 at that war where I saw peacekeepers uh, and reported on peacekeepers abusing women, young girls, and so on. And uh, the answer I was getting from the authorities was, well, you know, they're away from their families for a year or two and so on, so boys will be boys. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, that was in 2001. Uh, and and you got to really say, wait a minute here. Uh, boys will be boys. And so it's a sort of an acceptance that their sexual requirements uh, can go beyond any norm uh, in order to keep them stable in their tasks. Well, that's totally unacceptable. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I think what Stephen Lewis is doing with Code Blue in trying to hold the impunity uh, of peacekeepers uh, in abeyance and to try to get at both peacekeepers and civilians in the UN who are deployed uh, more accountable. Uh, I've been supporting that, uh, that movement, and I think that's high time. Well, okay, let's talk about the child soldiers. And by the way, I want to be mindful of your time. I'm just looking at the clock. Uh, are you okay to chat just a little bit longer, or do you need to go right away? No, no, as long as they don't run out of gas, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Um, child soldiers, the Romeo Dallaire Child Soldiers Initiative. This is really one of the things that is, I would say, the, the hallmark of your career, quote-unquote. Something that you've got to be able to hit your, you know, your head hits the pillow at night. And General Dallaire, you've got to be able to at least sleep a little bit knowing that this initiative is going and it is making an impact, you're making a difference. But many of us still are unaware as to the facts behind the whole child soldier reality in our world. Because well, we live in Canada, we live in North America, we don't have child I mean, we do in some ways because a lot of the soldiers are very young uh, in so many ways. But I mean real child soldiers. So where is the child soldier epidemic the worst in our world? Well, it, 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 it really is still concentrated extensively in Africa and many of the African conflict, but we've seen in the Middle East, uh, in Iraq and in Afghanistan and uh, Syria, uh, that all sides are using children uh, to sustain these wars. Uh, the demographics permit that because they're so, the, you know, you've got some populations up to nearly 50% are 15 and younger. Uh, and so they are going after kids with uh, weapons in order to sustain war. And child soldiers don't win wars for you. They, they just keep a war going. We were in Jordan and they were, this three Syrian army was recruiting inside of uh, Syrian refugee camps in Jordan, 13-year-olds, boys, to go and fight. And, and we said, those 13-year-olds are not going to win the battle for you. 
they said, no, but it's going to keep the war going. And that's exactly what this thing does. And so we have seen a total disregard of human rights uh, by factions in these conflicts. And in so doing, are permitting themselves to do crimes against humanity that one would never really even imagine. I spoke of rape earlier on, uh, the use of children to, in fact, do rape. They saw that, I saw that in Rwanda, but to also uh, be used to sustain wars, to kill, to maim, to steal, to abuse. That is a phenomenon that took a, a significant leap ahead with Mozambique in that war at the end of the 80s, and then has continued to grow in these imploding nations, in these civil wars, uh, where references are, are being shot out of the water because of references of decency and, and, and rights, uh, because you have factions of a same society fighting against other factions, be they religious, be they uh, tribal, be they simply power sharing. And people can be pushed to the extreme. I mean, just, I don't know if you remember the Oka crisis we had oh, in, yeah. uh, in Montreal. Yeah. Well, when we when we got the, the children and pregnant women and elders out of that enclave, so that no stupid mistake would be done by you know somebody shooting somebody by mistake, and God knows what would happen. Yeah. Uh, and and the convoy went through the villages where people had to. Uh, do an extra two hours a day to get to work because the bridges were blocked and so on. They, they, they rage in the people against uh, these uh, First Nations persons who were elderly, pregnant women and children was, was horrific. I mean, they threw stones, they threw rocks, they tried to injure them, and they were kids. And this was because they were mad. Uh, at having to do uh, these extra um, extra hours on on the road, so it doesn't take much to break into the veneer. Uh, what really bothered me in, in in all that is the fact that they were very practicing Catholics and uh, Protestants in that country, hmm. and and fervent, and yet when pushed to take a decision of life and death. Uh, to save themselves or to save someone of their own family, they they killed and they maimed and they destroyed and and few did not. Uh, and so I think uh, that shook uh, my my belief and that's where oh, sure. some of the intrinsic sort of uh, worries. So the child soldier uh, dimension uh, is one that we're we're actually working at reducing the recruitment of them and uh, making them ineffective by people who want to use them by training militaries and police forces with better tactics so the kids are not as effective as they seem to be. And uh, doing that, we're the only ones in the world that has looked at the problem that way because everybody else is looking at rehabilitating them and reintegrating them into societies. Well, a lot of kids never make it that far because a lot of them are casualties way before they are able to be demobilized. Uh, and it has done nothing to reduce the numbers. And on the contrary, with Al-Shabaab and Boko Haram and ISIS, we've seen the children used in even more horrific scenarios. And so we're attacking directly uh, the why they're recruiting them. And we are using a whole new generation of doctrine and tactics to retrain police forces and military to render the children less effective 
and thus less interesting to be recruited and ultimately become a liability for those who want to use them. Wow, what a strat! I mean, the the I can't even begin to imagine, you know, how you begin to strategize this, and and you know, it's it's such a multifaceted approach. You know, you're dealing with spiritual issues, you're dealing with psychological, mental issues, you're dealing with uh, governments and with uh, monetary solutions, military solutions. I mean, it just is so multifaceted. But that that's the whole point, is that in this era, it's no more soldiers walking around with guns and in uniform that will necessarily establish peace and security. Hmm. They're a component. They're only one component of a multitude of disciplines that have got to work together in synergy to create a whole new capability, which is the essence of my next book that's coming out in 19. And, and what we're saying is, is, that, is that there's no way that soldiers alone or police alone will actually stabilize, help stabilize countries, prevent it from going catastrophic, and ultimately build reconciliation. You need all these, these other elements of society to actually come to the field and work together to bring the solutions. And uh, we are still on job training in trying to figure that out. And that's why the child soldiers, uh, we have been identified as one of the very few bridges between the security world and the NGO and humanitarian world uh, because we can talk both languages uh, and we can interpret one to the other and actually make them work together. RomeoDelaire.com is a website you certainly want to check out. RomeoDelaire.com, D-A-I-L-L-A-I-R-E. And General Dallaire joins us right now again on the Drew Marshall Show. The Romeo Dallaire Child Soldiers Initiative is something we've just been chatting about a little bit. Uh, General Dallaire, I mean, are we ever going to see a day where we see an effective global organization that is actually able to prevent large-scale human atrocities? In my heart, in my soul, in my in my in French, we say "dami trip." In, in my inner, my in my gut, I uh, when I stopped being suicidal because I decided to focus on long-term objectives, something that that I know I won't have resolved in my lifetime, but I certainly ain't going to be able to move significantly. I came to the conclusion that if we keep moving on human rights, if we keep educating young people, uh, if we attempt. Uh, at, in fact, preventing frictions uh, that degenerate into conflicts, uh, that we are able to respect one another versus simply tolerate, and so treat all humans as equal. The more we can build that momentum, the more I believe we are going to, yes, attrit this Darwinian sort of concept that people think humans have of, of power versus uh, strong and weak and abuse of power and, and, and control. And it is my belief uh, that maybe in a couple centuries we'll actually not have conflict. Uh, we won't be killing each other because we've got frictions, but that we have found other solutions. Hmm. And you know what? What's two centuries? We've been at it for thousands of years. Yeah. And so if, if with the technology, the communications, the ease of, of establishing uh, human links, I mean, the kids today 
the under 25, I call them the generation without borders, because they're already planetary. They're already global. They're talking all over the world. They're going to be able to Skype anybody in the world. They're going to be able to look at somebody in the face real time from a whole different world in a whole different context and actually communicate and, and grasp and, and exchange. Well, we've never had that before. Hmm. So humanity is, is actually being brought closer and closer together. Uh, and I believe that elements of that is, are going to continue to strive to attenuate those frictions uh, by uh, introducing uh, better thought, uh, getting rid of traditions that are uh, abusing people, abusing women, abusing uh, girls. I think that we will see uh, religions wanting to uh, see a communion between them in regards to God and the future. And ultimately, I think the NGO world, uh, which are without borders, they're going to become the voice and the ears and the eyes of humanity. And they're going to influence public opinion and policy in, in ways that we have not yet even imagined. And that's why I tell the young people, create an NGO, do, you know, be an NGO, join an organization like ours and so on, and be part and become activists using the tools of our time. And I think we will, we will, we will attrit this, this old thing uh, and actually move people into a new, a new arena. Uh, okay, let me just summarize something and then I want to follow it up with a question. So, you know, the, the simplest, and it, it's going to be missing so many details, but the simplest explanation I have of who you are is that you led the UN peacekeeping mission during the Rwandan genocide and you had the information to be able to save a million lives, almost a million lives. You had that information, but your bosses at the UN told you to stand down, do nothing, you're just there to observe. Did I get all of that right? Not totally, because putting more on the, on the UN and the UN staff than maybe they deserve to carry. I mean, I made mistakes in the field. Uh, they made mistakes at the UN Secretariat, yes, uh, they were stumbling into a whole new era of conflicts in the post-Cold War, and they were they were trying to figure out how to handle. They were they had had Cambodia, and they were they were into uh, uh, Yugoslavia and Mozambique, and they, these nations were imploding left, right, and center, and they were being overwhelmed by those things. Only only to say that the scale had completely changed, and the nature of conflict was changing right before their eyes, and the old tools of the blue beret with a with short pants and a, and a baseball bat and people uh, believing in them uh, as 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 good referees, that was that was being eliminated. Mm-hmm. Where the real crux of the problem, in my opinion, happened, it happened in every sovereign state that makes up humanity. It happened in the 192 other countries at the time, where nobody wanted to give Rwandans anything. They didn't want to give the UN a new mandate. They didn't want to give the UN the troops. They didn't want to give me the resources in the field to be able to affect it. They just didn't want to get engaged. And yet, and yet, there were more people killed, injured, internally displaced, refugeed, and raped in Rwanda than there was in ex-Yugoslavia. And we poured 67,000 troops in Yugoslavia, and I couldn't keep 400 in the field. So there was deliberate decisions taken by sovereign states 
who have the capacity to, to be involved and to provide capability of not wanting to do it in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And, and so Rwanda didn't count, and Yugoslavia did, uh, and that's why we're there. Look, look at Darfur. Darfur, look at, Darfur was going on when they had that massive tsunami in Indonesia. We poured all kinds of resources into that to, to help people with the tsunami. At the same time, not a plug nickel was going into the hundreds of thousands of Darfurians who were being abused and destroyed uh, in that country by the Sudanese government. And so uh, we, we, we see uh, countries sustaining pecking orders and self-interests above humanity. And when you have a, bo- a body like the UN that's based on human rights, it's based on the equality of human beings, it can't necessarily communicate well with uh, countries who are self-interest dominated. And so you get this horrific disconnect uh, and pecking order of humanity. And so I think the blood is much more on the hands of those nations uh, that could have given me a hell of a lot more in the UN, uh, but simply didn't want to listen. Yeah, wow. Okay, you, you did a lot better job summarizing <laughs> it than I did. Well, let, let's let's finish off with this then. Well, having battled for so long with your inner demons and PTSD and multiple suicide attempts, why are you still alive? You, I tell you, there's a perspective of your questions that is absolutely extraordinary. Because one of my classmates from military college, I graduated over 50 years ago, and they call us the old brigade when we achieved that sort of level. And so... Um, uh, he said, you know, he said, Romeo, he said, your your uniform is in the war museum. Uh, he said, your, your combat maps are in the war museum. He said, your your name is on a couple schools. Uh, he said, your name is on some streets. Uh, he said, said, how come you're not dead? <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm alive because there were a couple people of peer support who just didn't let me be successful. I was not able to pull it off. And when we're in those states, we're not necessarily got all, you know, we're not uh, working on all pistons. And so some of the my attempts were, were really maladroit. And, and so uh, that that does, doesn't help. However, for years, I was trying, however, to suddenly destroy myself instead of doing it by overt actions it was to do it covertly by simply working myself to death and i came close a couple times doing it that way where my body simply quit and and they thought they thought i was having heart attacks but it wasn't it was just the body who just decided that was it it was cashing in and i was able to recoup after that sure but i i, I mean i mean cutting yourself and drinking yourself into stupors and, and overworking etc but you you're still alive so are you still alive because of stubbornness because of fate because of luck because of maybe a greater purpose why are you still with us because i i'm driven i'm driven by an uh, uh, an objective that's out there that I believe can, in fact, influence uh, the state of affairs uh, for many other human beings. Driven, one, by the child soldiers and where we'll save children, we'll stop and reduce the and attenuate the possibility of conflicts, we'll save soldiers uh, and policemen from being injured by having to confront with these children. 
I think I'm also driven by the fact that when I went public with my own injury to help veterans and maybe save some veterans from committing suicide and maybe help their families to try to live better and build upon that. But I also think is, is that I have people around me who believe in me more than I believe in myself, I think. And they, they provide and nurture uh, me with, with the drive. And uh, people like uh, my, my executive uh, assistant, Dr. Whitman, you know, who is a very practicing uh, Catholic woman uh, and her family, they provide me guidance and they, yeah, and they keep an eye on me too. And so between having a focus and, a, and driven, to do some things because I think I'm going to be helping other human beings avoid what I've gone through. And secondly, uh, having people who believe in me and want to sustain that effort. Uh, I think that's what's keeping me going. And I hope that I hope one day I'm going to be able to talk to God and, and, and not have afterthoughts and saying, you know, did he really hear me? Uh, did, it, did this really? Is he going, really going to change things with me, uh, or, or am I am I still trying to hedge my bets with him because of my past experience? Wow. Okay, we're going to say goodbye. But before we say goodbye, there's another person who I think, if he had a choice, would spend the rest of his life trying to encourage you and support you and and be your biggest cheerleader and it's the guy sitting across the desk from me who is a history teacher and a drama teacher in Brampton Ontario and uh, I mean what do you what I, do you say to to General Delaire because you're all yeah, fanboy yeah, right for now sure it's like somebody it's like one of our interns meeting Justin Bieber yes um, I, I guess the, the, the connection I'm gonna make if you're you're trying to help child soldiers and you're trying to help young people let me just say that um, you know through through your documentary and through the film that was made, uh, the, the 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 action film that was made, you have inspired a number of my students to think differently, to act differently, to be more uh, globally aware. Um, so it's it, working. It it is working, and I just want to let you know that, sir. There you go. I, you're you're, I I love that because I I speak to, to many universities and. Uh, and I've gotten honorary degrees not because I think they want to give them, but because I think they like the speech I give to the students. <laughs> but but, but uh, many have refocused uh, towards humanitarian, uh, humanity uh, policies, wanting to move in uh, international development, things like that. And that that is a magnificent uh, tour de force, to, to have them want to commit to not making money uh, on as the dominant thematic, to live okay, but to commit themselves to other human beings, uh, and that's that's very positive. That's what we're doing with child soldiers, and and the child soldier has its uh, own um, uh, site. It's it's called childsoldiers.org, and if you go to that, you'll get a lot of that feel of of how we are influencing uh, security forces and NGOs in refocusing on how to prevent children being used as instruments of war. Uh, General Dallaire, I'll finish with this. The many men so beautiful, and they all dead, dead lie. And a thousand, thousand slimy things lived on, and so did I. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar to you? 
Oh, shit. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I love it. What a great way to end it, sir. Uh, Thank you. I love 15 years of doing this show. I love having you on my show. It it is an honor. Thank you. And I hope it's useful. And and thank you because uh, you... Your questions are are questions that make you want to think twice and to uh, build upon the answers and remember the answers afterwards. And so thank you for the opportunity of, of letting me get back inside myself. Well, that, gee, wow. that's a, I think I'm going to hang on to that quote for yeah. the rest of my... I might even put that on my tombstone, okay? That's a good quote right there. <laughs> Romeo uh, Dallaire, General Dallaire, thank you, sir. Thank you so much, and uh, and uh, happy Remembrance Day to you. Yeah, thank you, and uh, and uh, keep an eye out for us next week. I think you'll see something interesting. Oh, we will. Oh, we will. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.